1: Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. And let's just cut straight to the chase. Cody, your Milwaukee Bucks in an all-time classic last night in game five in the Boston Garden in what I think is the best conference semifinal series in a fantastic conference semifinals where as of recording this, every series is three games to two. The Bucs moving ahead on the road in that pivotal fifth game, down 14, 93, 79 in the fourth quarter. And then from the rafters of Juju, Stan Van Gundy declaring the Bucks can just make a ton of threes. And they did. And then, of course, Bobby Portis, the putback, Drew Holiday. What do we call that? What do we call that play by Drew Holiday? The block, the save, the steal. It was the whole thing. Everyone wants to know, how are you feeling today? I, yesterday's adrenaline rush was so high. Let me paint a picture for all of you. Let me, let
0: me paint this with my words, like a poet, right? So I'm in, I'm in Minneapolis, and we had, like, severe thunderstorm. War. Like, we were in a tornado warning. Like, it's the fourth quarter of the
1: Bucks game, and we hear the tornado siren go off where we are, right? Can I just say something here? Cody yes. texted me during the fourth quarter comeback tornado warning And I'm like, yeah, Pat Connaughton's stroking threes. I'm like, I don't know if he's talking about an actual physical tornado because I'm like, are tornadoes in Minneapolis a thing? He must be talking about Pat Connaughton.
0: No, it was the literal weather, like tornado sirens going. So my wife and I, we we go down to the basement. I have my whole setup. So I'm like bouncing back and forth, running upstairs and looking at like how wild it is outside. But I'm also trying to like balance my disappointment. I'm texting like five different people where I'm like, oh, the bucks are cooked. This is it. The wheels are falling off. I don't think there's any way. They're coming back. Even, like, they got it within 11 after that 14-point deficit, and then Tatum, like, isoed against Pat Connaughton and threw down a dunk in half court, and I was like, this is it. That's that's exactly what they're looking for. Then, Ben. Ben, I, I, I don't know if it was the combination of all of those things, but I, I'm not joking. That when Drew when Drew Holiday got that second steal, I ran out of the room. Like, I didn't even watch the final buzzer. He got the steal, and I couldn't, like, sit still. Like, it was just so much energy. There was so much buildup that I I couldn't take it. That was, that was, like, top five most excited I've ever been watching a basketball game.
1: Wow. Top five. And you won the championship last year. Top you, five. Uh, you... Wow. Yeah, that's so fun. What a series. It's such a fantastic series. The two games in Milwaukee, of course, that third one reaching kind of a fever pitch of intensity, and then Al Al Horford's buzzer beater off the smart missed free throw being two-tenths of a second, too late. Um, Game four, of course, uh, did a video up on the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel about the massive sort of shift at the end of that game where the Celtics finally broke through offensively. I thought that carried over. Into Game Five, where you know Lopez got a quicker hook. They were they were attacking the paint more. They were really rushing out to Al Horford. He only took two threes, I think, in the whole game. So that dynamic was awesome. And then Giannis just continuing to um, outside of the three point shooting and the deep pull ups, just an unbelievable performance in this conference finals. And it's one of those performances that at some point in the future, I feel like someone is going to go back and kind of miss the fact that the Celtics defense transformed in the middle of the year. So even though they finished with a good defense, the kind of full season regular number probably understates their defensive efficiency and quality. And then they're going to look at Giannis's true shooting percentage, and they're going to be like, well, he didn't play well in this series because his true shooting percentage is whatever. It was. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. I know it's about four percentage points below what the Celtics allowed on the season, but what does that come out to? 50%? or something like that it was sub 50 the other day when we were talking about it and they're going to say this guy was like a chucker and yeah maybe he did some stuff to try to keep them in the series but it wasn't his best series and from my vantage point especially in the areas outside scoring like he's had an incredible series
0: it's one of those things where if you were to choose like the best players of the conference finals right now i I don't know who else – I mean, I think there's a couple other players that compete, but Giannis is right there in that conversation. Like, without Giannis doing what he's doing and just kind of being a battering ram and kind of soaking up some of that inefficiency, I think he's he's buoying this team better than, you know, pretty much whatever anyone else is doing in the conference finals right now. And I think this actually goes back to a conversation that we kind of teased about Trey Young a couple episodes ago where I was like, this might be something that we need to update later because we don't know how good the Heat defense is. Is this something that's going to be carrying over? Well, now this is the Celtics having a couple series in a row where Kevin Durant, all-time offensive player, held below his usual scoring volume, held below his usual uh, scoring efficiency, and now Giannis, that sort of thing, is happening again. So hopefully, like if somebody's looking from the future and seeing Giannis' statistics, they can take into account every every team that the Celtics played and be like, "Oh, okay, this is actually a thing that they were causing during this time, and then if the Bucks moved on, it ticked up, or if the Celtics moved on, other players saw the same dip in efficiency.
1: The weird thing about podcasting is that everyone is listening from the future. No one's listening to you and I talk right now. We have to record it and put it on the internet later. Um, this is what jumps out to me. We've talked about offensive load before it's a stat that tries to estimate sort of the direct involvement of a player on offense. So think of usage. But with playmaking, with shot creation for your teammates. And league average offensive load is usually about 27 or 28. That means on 27 or 28% of the possessions, you would be involved. Um, and the reason why it's more than 20, 20, 100% divided by five players is 20, that's what you'll get for usage, is because of the playmaking element. You, it tries to capture the playmaking and the score on the play. So, you get an offensive load of like 38 to 42. You're kind of a star level offensive player. You're, you're big involved in the offense, but you're not in this heliocentric world. Um, if you get up to like 47, 50, 52, that's where a lot of your alpha, high primacy, MVP, all NBA type guys who drive championship offense will be. And it's rare to get up in the 60s. And then every once in a while, if you, you know, run some splits and you're like, what was James Harden without anyone else who could ever score? You might see guys in the 70s, Russell Westbrook, 2017, his season had like high 60s, flirting with 70s, things like that. Right now in the second round, Luka Doncic's offensive load in the five games of this series is, is 68 <laughs> Uh, which estimates that on 68% of the offensive possessions, he's the one either doing the scoring or immediately creating the shot or making the pass to set up the shot. And you might be thinking, like, well, that, that's not 100 or whatever. That does, see, the thing with this stat is you can't get over like 80 or 85% because of transition, loose ball fouls. You know, you get a backcourt foul, someone takes free throws, that eats up your offensive possession. So 70, as I said, is, is right up there. Cody, here's what's fascinating to me. You know who's second in the conference semifinals in offensive load? Who? You don't want to take a guess?
0: Um, you know what? I'm, I'm going to let you tell the people because I think I have a pretty good guess on this
1: one. Well, I feel like you of all people would know. I'm guessing it's Giannis. Giannis Antetokounmpo has an offensive load of 64 in the conference semifinals. And kind of his running mate, um, if you will, Drew Holiday, he also has a pretty high offensive load of forty six, and this is like doing all of the heavy lifting for the Bucks. Not only without Chris Middleton, but something we I think discussed a couple months ago when we took a pass through Milwaukee land. They don't have the same depth that maybe that team has had in the past. So um, someone like Malcolm Brogdon, right? Like he's not there anymore, and they've kind of Brooke Lopez doesn't quite have the same offensive juice that he had in seasons past. And so you're really in this case running everything through Giannis in what I think I would describe as like a floor raising role. And again, that offensive load of 64 is pretty consistent with like some pretty heavy floor raising. And for him to still create the amount of shots for teammates he's created, put that pressure on that Boston defense. And I think they've done a great job. We've got um, not only the video on the YouTube, but also a Patreon video on game one. So a lot of video analysis about how they've tried to defend him in this series. And at some points they've done a great job. And yet he's still at like 32 points per 75 minus 4% true shooting. He is first in the conference semifinals, excuse me, second behind Luca in the conference semifinals in estimates of creating shots for teammates. His on off um, continues to be bonkers. So this is a really cool factoid for a tight playoff series where I believe Boston has outscored the Bucs over five games. Milwaukee is plus 5.6 per 100 possessions with Giannis on the floor. So plus 5.6 is pretty good. Then when he goes to the bench, they're getting hammered. They're like minus 35 in the, in the limited minutes. And then you look at Al Horford, Giannis, by the way, playing um, about 40 minutes a game in this series, almost 200 minutes over five games. You look at Al Horford, played almost the exact same number of minutes. And the Celtics with Al Horford on the court are plus 4.4. So exactly, Cody's making a, like, that's crazy. How does the math work? It's like, well, you kind of change the minutes around just a little bit. They try to match the minutes, but Horford wins his minutes. Giannis wins his minutes. All I'm saying here is all of this is symptomatic of a very close competitive series, which it has been. And I think he's, I mean, especially his defense, his defense has just been monstrous for most of this series. That was the thing I was
0: going to point out is it's, I can't think of any examples of players that have this sort of load. I mean, this sort of load on its own is ridiculous, but to have this sort of load, but also be playing like basically defensive player of the year caliber defense is completely unheard of. And to give a little bit of context for the load numbers you were giving, this is across all of the playoffs, so it's not just the conference finals. So all of the playoffs. Uh, I'm trying to quickly count this, so I'm hoping I'm not off by one or two. But if you're looking at offensive load, there's about 18 players that have an offensive load of above 40, about 18 across all of the playoffs. And then there's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six that have above 50 right? So we're really talking about rarefied air when you get into the 60s. Luca is the only player that actually has a load above 60 in the entirety of the playoffs. So once you get up there, like you're literally talking like top percentile sort of thing. It's not like there's a bunch of people hovering around 57. Like, no, that like this sort of number is really unheard of. And like I said, with the defense, it's just, it it doesn't make sense.
1: Luca's offensive load um, in the overall playoffs is 64. Remember he missed the beginning of the Utah series and then came back at the end of the series and now it's kind of upticked that uh in the phoenix series last year it was over 70 in his first round series against the clippers so that is truly Luca ball and i know a lot of people have been talking about um you know is is it too much heliocentrism is heliocentrism dead uh all this kind of stuff i don't want to go i don't want to get out my my pipe and um, tweed jacket and go full philosophical conversation on this but I will say in game five, I thought the Mavs kind of shot themselves in the foot in the second half, and specifically Luka. Um, He's had a lot of really good moments in these playoffs, and I think his overall statistical package is still pretty strong. But that second half, like, he was pretty good to good. He was, like, had some stuff going in the first half. And then the second half, I just thought the wheels fell off, where I lost track of the number of possessions where he dribbled the shot clock down to six and then took a step back. And every one of those possessions just bled and bled and bled time and opportunities away, creating very low value shots. And we talked about at the beginning of the playoffs how the Golden State Warriors scored 70 points in a 19 minute stretch against the Denver Nuggets. Well, in an 18 minute stretch, the Dallas Mavericks, Cody, are you sitting down? They scored 16 points, 16 points in 18 minutes. And yeah, they were up 38, 30. And at the end of that, they were down by whatever that comes out to 20 something points. And a lot of that stretch in the second and third quarters, it started halfway through the second quarter. It went to the end of the third quarter um, where they scored 16 points. They were up 38, 30. They had 54 points near the end of the second quarter, third quarter, excuse me, were just these possessions of Luca bleeding clock. And I just thought that the whole wheels fell off for Dallas without really seeing anything different that the Suns were doing schematically. It was just like, well, I'm not going to attack early or I'm not going to move the ball. I'm going to get a screen, wait for a switch, dribble, 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 start to attack the switch, take a step back or something comparable.
0: So I I want to ask about this because I, I watched this the first quarter of game five between the Suns and the Mavericks pretty closely. And from what I was seeing, from what I was, I was taking notes on, this seems like the same kind of Luka Ball that I've been seeing all along. Like, extremely high usage for him, dribbling down the clock. They were making a lot of shots, and I think by the end of the first quarter, they were winning. So if you, like, extrapolate some of that, like, if you just watched that first quarter, you could be like, oh, why doesn't this just work? Like, just keep doing this, and they'll win every quarter. So I guess my question to you is, do you think that this style of heliocentrism, or at least, like, Luka Ball right now in this series, do you think it's actually a really high-variance offense that they're running
1: i think it does have some high variability but it it depends on the caveats we put on it i mean they could run the same offense and if for some reason they had a player who liked to take really long threes whether that's trey young or steph curry or whatever and the shot selection got a little maybe maybe if they put um gunsling and clay on the team and he just starts taking 30 shots every time he touches (laughs) it like that is going to increase variance and i say that because last night in that st- or two nights ago, whenever that was, in that stretch in Game 5, they kept doing the same thing, but they weren't executing in the same way. Meaning, if you get a switch, you go early. Or uh, back in Game 4, there was some cool X's and O's stuff that they were trying to do to change the Spain pick and roll just a little bit, to throw off the Phoenix defense, to give them a different look. So you're either attacking off the action, which is still Luka-centric, and then he's creating offense, or you're getting the switch... And then he's going to work early. And I think what was so different about that stretch in the second and third quarter is it wasn't just a possession here or there where he dribbled out the clock and went to a step back, which is, eh, it's okay. So what do you think that is? Like a 30% shot sometimes if you're tired and you have a long three, it was like over and over and over and over again. And I just, I genuinely was in shock. As much as you were in shock about the Bucks game, I was more in shock about a game five in that series where the Mavs, to their credit, executed, buttoned up, made some changes, went back home, even the series at two. They were up 38-30 in the second quarter, doing the same things they were doing, playing well. And then it was just like the wheels fell off, but without any big tactical, usually in the playoffs these days, there's a tactical adjustment or something. And it just started to these possessions of like, what's happening? And then you look up, At the scoreboard, a quarter and a half later, and they had 16 points in 18 minutes. One question I get all the time is, Ben, how can I break into working in basketball? Or what are the best ways for me to deeper my understanding of the NBA? And my immediate answer is always sports business classroom. That is the good stuff. Two of our Thinking Basketball team members are actually SBC grads. And it's an immersive program that takes place Inside Summer League in Las Vegas, where you'll get training in scouting, media, the salary cap, and analytics from industry leaders. Past instructors and guests include Commissioner Adam Silver, Mike D'Antoni, Masayu Giri, Daryl Morey, Mike Breen, Zach Lowe, and more. This year's session runs from July 10th to 15th in Las Vegas, so if you're interested, check out sportsbusinessclassroom.com. And I have a discount for you. Enter the code thinking basketball at sign up and get three hundred dollars off. That's thinking basketball for three hundred dollars off. If you're interested, check it out today. Sportsbusinessclassroom dot So
0: I'm gonna follow up my question with another question. If if you are the Mavericks, if you're if you're Jason Kidd and the coaching staff or the players, do you change the way that you're playing right now? Like, do you try and adjust it, or do you just be like, "Hey, that was a bad game. We kind of got bogged down with our execution. Let's get back to it and it move into our actions
1: a little bit quicker." Is that what you do? I'm sure there's always subtle little tricks you can you can try to go to, um, but I think the spirit of the question is, I wouldn't change it. What I would do is look at the tape. So. When I went back through some of the film, um, I had more notes on, wow, this is a spot he usually attacks downhill or he's got an opportunity to swing the ball and create an advantage or whatever it may be. Go quicker. um, Get into a back down and wait to see if you get a double team because you have a smaller, smaller guy switched onto you. All those things. Tactically, it's the same thing. They just have to, from an athletic standpoint, just like push and attack and do that. And I think that's probably easier at home. So we might see that in game six. It's it's crazy, Cody. They they had that performance, and the Suns took care of business. And I think a lot of people are back on like the, the train of, well, this series is over. Um, but I would not be surprised at all if the Mavs, I guess, tonight, right? That game's tonight. Um, tonight, we're able to hold on and win by not making these huge changes. They've already kind of developed the shape of the five-out offense that's working, um, attacking eight and things similar, almost similar to what the Celtics have done a little to the Bucks, trying to go a little bit smaller, stretch Brook Lopez out. I mean, there's a, there's a theme here, I think, with attacking these bigs and getting more skill, shooting, and space when you don't really have other options against successful interior defenders. Can we put a pin on that for a second? Because I, I like where you're going, but there's one other point I want to make about the Mavericks.
0: And I think something that I saw is not just Aiton, but especially in that early on in that game, especially from Brunson, I actually felt like they were attacking Chris Paul a good amount. And uh, Brunson was backing him down and scoring in the paint. Brunson was taking him off the dribble. There was one time he straight up blew by Chris Paul with a pretty fancy little dribble and finished at, uh, at the rim. But I guess that's the really interesting thing to me about the Mavericks is they play quote unquote Luka ball. But this heliocentric style that they're doing seems to extend also to Brunson and Dinwiddie. Like, I think this is what's so interesting is, and, and I need to go back and look at the numbers and watch the Hawks a little bit more, but I don't remember this happening exactly so much with uh, when Trey would go to the bench. But when Luka goes to the bench, or even when Luka passes it off, it kind of just turns on, turns into a one-on-one match with Brunson and whoever is guarding him, or if Brunson could get uh, the Chris Paul... Guarding him, So I find that really interesting. It's like multiple heliocentrism. It's almost like the Chris Paul James Harden heliocentrism shared star sort of situation we saw with the Rockets a few years ago. Is that is that sort of what you're seeing?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, and specifically, one thing Brunson seems to have figured out is if I make a second move on Paul, he's he doesn't have the lateral quickness that, you know, a, a, a defensive point guard of his stature at 24 would have. Um, now this version of Chris Paul, maybe he can make a move early, but his defensive strengths are about reading the game and positioning himself early early off ball and using his lower body strength in the paint to avoid mismatches. Brunson, as you said, is getting him in space. It's that five-out system where then you can attack into space, and he obviously is really good at that, and he just makes a second move on Paul. It's like that second move coming back to it is the one that he has a hard time staying with. Dinwiddie can play like that. Brunson can play like that. Luka obviously can play like that. I think it's similar to what you saw with the Clippers and what they did to Gobert, giving giving that same treatment where you're like, if we have guys that can attack with the ball, Reggie Jackson, um, Paul George, um, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone from, from last year's team because this year I've got Luke Kennard on the mind. But just if we can get people in space, then we can play like a drive and kick game, Right where if you get by and you have all that open paint to attack and the defender comes, well, you're a skilled penetrator. You're, you're a guard. You have ball skills. So you can either finish your move, you can shoot a three, or you can kick it out. Or if you're one of these guys like Brunson, you can get in the mid-range and, you know, little, little fancy footwork and up and under action and all, all that beautiful stuff that we love. But I think it's all part of that same system. And so you label it maybe a lot of isolation or whatever, Uh, And you you hearken back to that 18 Rockets team that, that did a lot of your turn, my turn kind of stuff. But I don't know. I don't know if I would call it like it is isolation, but it's also in this larger context of playing five out and trying to space the floor. Because the second what you really hope for is you get the defense to react and adjust. And then you can get the ball moving and get them in rotation and burn them that way. Or in some of these theories, you remove the big man from the court and now they're now they're playing on your terms
0: see and that's I think the really interesting song and dance that we saw I mean the, the discourse is always around Rudy Gobert with that but we're seeing that with a lot of big men you referenced it with with DeAndre Ayton with him being attacked uh, we're seeing it I mean Brooke Lopez is playing a master class paint protecting role in this conference finals but when the Celtics go small and they pull him out that's where he's weakest and when you start putting them in rotation there's that balance it's like well we want to keep this guy closest to the rim but if he's closest to the rim then we're giving up threes and we're giving up people being able to get ahead of steam so it's really interesting to see how these defenses are handling these big men that have specific strengths and specific weaknesses and how they try to employ them during these series
1: i mean my my question at this point is who's safe how many <laughs> how many how many big men out there are safe yeah. From this treatment, because you said it, uh, Gobert and Jokic are the ones who are criticized for it, which is also it's so funny that those two guys are in the bucket because like Gobert is, in in my estimation, literally the best in that drop big man role in the league. And as we've mentioned a thousand times, he's actually kind of agile for someone that enormous, whereas Jokic let's just stick to the playoffs what you're trying to do is tread water with him you're trying to say like okay this guy's so great on offense if there's a better way to protect him on defense either with personnel with scheme Um, one thing I don't think Denver tried much that other teams have tried is zone but you take someone like Joel Embiid who's not the most mobile guy and you put him in one of these situations where they have no perimeter defense either and they're playing teams that they're playing the Warriors and they attack you downhill with a lot of spacing Pull up shooting, um, short roll, all this stuff that they do, or they play the Clippers, right? And they play. We're going to go five at the Mavs. We're going to go five out. And if you have a slower guy on the court, we're going to attack you every time. Who's safe? How many? How many guys are are not vulnerable to that treatment? I think I think the list is is pretty small. But what when we even think
0: about the safety of these players? You've pointed this out. I think in your most recent Bucs-Celtics video, we talked about it with the Celtics even in the past, and I think this is something that hurt Jokic a ton, is you when you have two or three players that can protect the rim, that can insulate some of these players more. Like the Celtics, they get past Lopez, guess who's hanging out back there? Giannis is recovering. Again, one of the best rim protectors in the league. Celtics have that. Rob Will obviously has been out, but... You have Jason Tatum that can protect the rim. You even have Marcus Smart that can slot down and protect the rim. And sidebar, Marcus Smart's defense last game was un- just, oh my
1: God, unbelievable. Can we, do, can we do just like a mini sidebar on the fact that Marcus Smart was all over the court in that game five. He was awesome. And then he's just getting like criticized for, for because Drew Holiday also made an amazing defensive play. Um, the last play, you know, the optics aren't good with the back-to-back holiday getting smart but the last play smart fumbled the ball which is why drew was able to snipe it out of his hands um and and you can see he fumbles the ball so he has to look down and then he's in a frantic because he realizes the ball's vulnerable so he goes to try to pick it up drew kind of beats him to the punch by the way jason tatum was wide open on the wing because bobby portis laid out uh, Who's guarding Tim Was West West, Matthews? Was it Matthews? Yeah, I think it was West Matthews. Yeah, he just laid him out trying to stay with the screening action. Uh, man, I love that little stuff in, at the end of games where like B.J. Armstrong falling down in the corner um, <laughs> on John Paxton's three. I just love those things that happen off on the side. But that that first play where it looked like the Celtics didn't get what they wanted out of the timeout. Derek White perhaps prematurely inbounded the ball to Smart, but Smart made a great read by sort of backdooring an overplay and he had there was no one in the paint. There wasn't that rim protection. So he actually had the mismatch. He was gonna make, I think, an open layup to put them up. And then Holiday with the incredible help just recognizing and for Drew he's not um his strength isn't off ball reads like that. So for him to hone in on that play in the final seconds and make that play, and then somehow bend his arm to block it and keep it down in Bill Russell's house and then save it and throw it off of him. I don't know why that's Mark It's like, that's just Drew holiday making an incredible basketball play. Like I, unbelievable play and this is great because now holiday's building a resume of just having
0: these unbelievably clutch <laughs> defensive plays and just like just really not caring like last year what was that game six i don't even know they all blend together when he's like huh game sh- should i throw this lob i guess i'll just throw this lob after the steal yeah. or like yesterday yeah. it's like huh should i go for uh should i try and steal it from a player that might grift once in a while yes i'm gonna go for this and just ends the game like i, I love that mentality but uh yeah, Marcus Smart shouldn't be criticized, and I think before all of that defensively, like that was maybe Marcus Smart's best defensive game of the playoffs. Like there was there was a period of time, and Derek White was involved in this too, and Jalen Brown and Tatum, but Smart was the one that stood out. Like in the third and second quarter, the Bucks couldn't like pass the ball on the perimeter. Yeah. Like Smart was like, "Oh, you're going to just throw an entry pass? No, you're not. That's okay. This is mine now." Like he was everywhere, and his defense on Giannis, who's like significantly taller than. I, I was. It doesn't make sense. Blown away, blown away by it, Smart's performance.
1: Yeah, it makes sense from one one standpoint, which is that Giannis's best weapon is using agility and the combination of the strength once he gets his shoulder by you to kind of out quick and out maneuver these like these like slaloming Euro steps back and forth. And so, okay, you put bigger bodies on him, and that's where he has an advantage, but. Smart is has the quickness and understands all his tendencies, so he just sags way off, and he's like, "No, I'm going to beat you to that spot. No, I'm going to beat you to that spot. No, you can't go there." So obviously, the thing he has to do is kind of turn his back and back him down. But just the physics of it, where you have like this dude that's about six three. Um, you're Cody. You're about six three, right? Right. Yeah. 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 So I'm I'm around that height as well. It's really weird to think of a human being my size guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo as the best option. On a high-level defense, um, but anyway, that's what's happening. So, back to the point: the Celtics, they don't. Their defense is not constructed around a drop pick. You could say Rob Williams is like that a little bit, but as we talked about, he's missed the last couple of games with knee soreness, and they haven't missed too much of a beat because they have someone like Al Horford, who, even at his advanced age, thanks to all the drinking from the holy grail that he's done, <laughs> the, the man, the man seems to be able to switch out. Play different coverages, come up to the level of the screen, recover. Uh, I think the one thing he's really mastered over his career and it's come out in the last few seasons well, not the last few seasons when he was in Oklahoma, Siberia, um, but you see it this season the use of his hands at point of attack actions, right? Just like getting his hands in, disrupting little plays. So he's a guy that isn't going to probably be subjected to this treatment. But how many other viable big men who aren't massive, massive offensive negatives cannot get played off the floor or attacked? Like, I don't know if it's fair to say Ayton is being played off the floor, but what Dallas has done is they've started to attack him and focus at him and go at him and they found success there.
0: Okay, so we're getting in dangerous territory because, Ben, I, we are. I, I have a couple of players that I want to list off. Everyone that's listening, if I do not say a player that is on your team it's not because I think that that player is terrible on defense. No, it is. It is. That, yeah. That's actually exactly we need to trade that player. They're as bad as Rudy Gobert, and we just need to toss them all in the same bin. That's what happens if I don't say a player on your team right now. But here are the Should players. we send them to the moon? Send them to, what did, did you say Oklahoma City, Siberia? Is that a thing yeah. you said? Yeah. I think that's, the, that's actually like the resting grounds. Like Apparently, you go there to rejuvenate
1: who else oh because Chris Paul yeah. went there to rejuvenate. Yeah, Chris Paul. but he played so he played really well there
0: yeah that's true. I guess he yeah. did take them to the playoffs
1: all right we, we're in danger zone we want to hear and now everyone wants to know who who are you going to upset with uh,
0: with this list so these are in my opinion the least attackable bigs that are still in the playoffs right now okay eight teams yep least attackable bigs we go. I don't have a very big list Ben I have Al Horford who's probably the goat like if we're being honest He's, he's the best def- defensive big we've ever seen. Um, Giannis. I, I have Giannis in there. Uh, Bam Adebayo. How, how do you feel about Maxi Kleba? How do you feel about Maxi Kleba?
1: Yeah, I would. Uh, I think
0: I'd put him on that list. And then here, here I think is a tricky one. Because Joel Embiid is sort of tentatively here, but he hasn't been... The 76ers haven't played a team that can really attack him. He hasn't been attacked because of the personnel that have gone against him. I feel like Embiid... If he were to be in that list, he would be below everyone that we just said in this. I'm not saying it means a bad defensive player, but I feel like he doesn't have the perimeter flexibility as these, these other guys. How do you feel about those four? Those are the four that came to mind for me. So is Draymond Green not a big... Wow, that's... Uh, yeah, Draymond Green's in there, too. Yeah. I, I said Draymond I would... Green. I definitely said him.
1: Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, you did. We It was an audio problem no. when Cody said it. Um, just want to make sure we all, we all heard it. So I would have Draymond on that list I would not have Embiid on this list and I think that's what's so interesting because if you had asked me a couple months ago I would have said guys like Aiton and Embiid even though they kind of play more drop and they're in this middle ground they feel safer but two things have happened one clearly more teams are being able to set up lineups that are viable defensively in the playoffs that can attack this way offensively whether it's a heliocentric God looking for switch hunting and point guard uh, uh, mismatches and things like that. Or in conjunction with that, we're playing five out because Dallas is kind of doing both. Um, The Clippers have, as I said many times, played five out with this attacking system. So the more teams that do this, the more vulnerable you become. And then the other thing is just seeing like, okay, um, if you're Gobert and you don't have anyone else around you, what it looks like. Not just when you have like one soft defender at the point of attack, but two and three and how it compounds. And I think these guys, like, I already think they're in better defensive environments. Aiton's in a fantastic defense environment and he's being attacked. Embiid's in a good defensive environment. And I don't really think he's played a team that can attack him yet. But it's hard for me to see how, um, if he were to play a team that could attack him, like if you, if you were to give him the Warriors treatment or if you were to give him the five-out Mavs treatment, that they wouldn't, I think they would. So I don't think there's many guys on this list, and I wouldn't have someone like Embiid on this list. And again, that doesn't mean those guys get played off the court, but it means this really becomes the focal point of, like, offenses trying to find a weak spot in the defense to go after.
0: And I think this is a really fascinating question when it comes to whole player valuation. So if you're trying to like, let's say for instance, you're like, let's try and come up with the best defensive bigs in the playoffs right now. I'm not saying we're going to do that, but if, if someone were to pose that question, I think you have a really interesting split with like, all right, so we have player A who's like top tier, best in the league, drop big, but maybe can get attacked on switches. Isn't necessarily going to get destroyed on switches, but could get attacked. And then you have a player who like can protect the rim reasonably well can switch pretty well. It's not necessarily a matchup if you get him in any of these situations, but he's not going to blow you out of the water. He's not going to help get you, or he's not going to be the lead focal point of the best defense in the league, but he's also never going to be a weakness. Like, which one do you want? How do you rank those? Do you actually give the boost to somebody that has lesser weaknesses? And I don't know. I think about this question a lot, and I legitimately don't know what direction to go with it.
1: This is the hard part about evaluating playoff... Data playoff results um, compared to the regular season when the samples are so small, and we're we're in a new era, man. I mean, stuff has changed rapidly in the last five to eight years in the NBA, and we just don't have, from as far as I can tell, this great picture to be able to say, ah, see what happens is every single time the drop big loses all its value. Or, hey, the drop big holds a lot of value in these three situations, but you have to watch out for this fourth situation. And then maybe we could balance that equation in our head. We could be like, oh, okay, yeah, most of the time, Gobert would actually be really valuable. And then sometimes if you put him in these situations, he would be terrible. But kind of like analogous to floor raising on offense, if it's floor raising on defense, maybe I'm not going to penalize him that much for this worst-case scenario. Because that team's not going... Anywhere anyway, I want to have at least one or two decent defenders on the perimeter for any reasonably constructed playoff team that's going to make a te- deep run so i don't know what the answer is right now it's 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 really fascinating, but I think you can see the, the, the one thing that makes it so hard, and you see it with the Celtics series is the more versatile the more bam autobios you have, the more um, I felt this way about Anthony Davis in the bubble like the more you have guys like that the more options you can go to. I mentioned it in the video as a quick point in passing on the Bucs-Celtics game four. But when the Celtics basically said, we're going to play three-point guards, defensively, they're not getting torched precisely because Marcus Smart can just go guard a big. Precisely because Marcus Smart knows how to switch onto Brook Lopez and front him perfectly so they can't throw the lob, and then turn around and box him out. Somehow, <laughs> he does it all in one breath. And that's, a, that's all you're going to ask for from a 6-8 power forward. Anyway, so smart in that case is a small, but I think the same thing applies up the lineup when you get to the bigs. If you have a big, I mean, even someone like Daniel Tice, like Daniel Tice, at, for a high level deep playoff team, like you're seeing in this series, he's more of a utility guy right now. He's a guy that you want to come in and play 10 or 15 minutes a game. But he can do that and allow you to try different options, play different cards in a series. And this seems to be something that, um, at least in small samples, like we should be, I think, careful to dismiss without getting a larger uh, body of data to evaluate just how valuable that might be. This
0: is interesting. I like that you brought up Tice because the way that the Bucks actually run their bigs, tossing Giannis aside because he's his own defensive unicorn, but what they have to balance between Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis is really fascinating because neither of them are like Tice, where it's utility, where you can kind of be flexible and change your game plan. They almost need to employ Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis in completely different situations. So if Brook Lopez is out there, there's not going to be any hard hedging. There's not going to be any blitzing. There's not going to be switching with him. Like he's going to have to drop. Whereas Portis is almost like the exact opposite. You cannot drop with Bobby Portis. Portis is really not as strong. He's not even like a good rim protector, but he's mobile enough. He's not a strong perimeter defender, but he's mobile enough and he's big enough that he can step out. Bobby Blitz, once again, I think about it every time he blitzes or hard hedges. uh, He can step out there and slow down a driver. And that completely changes the way that either Milwaukee's going to be playing or the Celtics are going to play. It's like, all right, so now they're going to be running the Bobby Fortis lineup, so they're going to be doing this. This is the kind of way that they're going to be running offense. This is how they're going to be running defense. Whereas when you have that sort of utility player that's really high level, it, uh, it allows you to stay the course and then not make all these kinds of adjustments in the game. So I think that's a really interesting chess match and deciding what you want to respond to and when
1: you want to just stay the course of what you want to do ideally. Cody, we forgot someone on our list, or at least I did. I don't know. You don't have to come to the island with me if you don't want to. Um, a Kind of a big name here. The people are probably yelling at us for, for many minutes, not mentioning him. Jaron Jackson Jr. <sighs> okay. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, or do you not have him on the list? I didn't have him on the list, Ben.
0: Oh, why not? I mean. Maybe it's not fair, because I'm comparing him to, like, the Warriors machine. So maybe in a different context, like, if we threw him on the 76ers, I'd probably think more. But, like, um, I've, seen, I've seen him get toasted quite a bit by Poole and Curry. Which, again, isn't fair, because it's Poole and Curry that are toasting him. But I, I just have not been as impressed with his guard switching during this series as I thought I was impressed with his switching earlier in the year. Do you
1: disagree with Interesting. That? Um. Well... We might be at sort of like a rock and a hard place because I don't necessarily know if this conversation precludes you from ever being toasted by Steph Curry and the the machine that is Jordan Poole. Because Jordan Poole's really quick. like yes. That's his best asset, probably. So it's an interesting philosophical area because it is very possible. And knock on wood, if we get to see this in the next few weeks, I mean, this is going to be amazing. Um, but it's very possible that... Teams go to the extreme side of this and say, no, 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 Ben, Jaron Jackson Jr. actually needs to go to the bench for a little while if Golden State's going to play these guys and be able to get downhill because we just need to do anything to find advantages to mitigate these offensive strengths. We know team, you know, league-wide offense at the end of the year was one fifteen. Um, I think this round it's down closer to one ten. We've got some great defensive jo- the Bucks and the Celtics maybe pulling that down by themselves, <laughs> um, but. It's interesting because I think getting torched by, you know, an elite offensive player like that, uh, or an, or when you put an elite offensive player in those situations, getting torched sometimes, and I think Jaron's also had really great moments defensively in this series that stand out on the Memphis side. Is that enough to say you have to go to the bench or something like that? Um, I, I I don't know, but I would think to include if we're going to include, I think if we're going to include Kleba. Um, I would include Jaren. Yeah.
0: So you you feel like that Jaren's a better perimeter switcher than Maxi
1: Cleba? I don't know if I would say that. Okay. I just I just don't know if there's I just don't know if there's the drop off. Um, but maybe maybe I don't know. This this whole conversation also has me thinking about young players like the Warriors going to Kaminga as their other big, and now you have Draymond and Kaminga who. Are both very fast and athletic and can offer certain things on offense, but then defensively, just super super duper switchable, right? Does anyone say super duper anymore? <laughs> is that um, it's back now? It's we're gonna this we're gonna it. bring it back. Super duper switchable. Super duper. But also so right now, also the young guys. I mean, I think that's what's so exciting about someone like Scotty Barnes, um, who of course uh, was eliminated in the first round, or even Evan, Evan Mobley from. The play-in game where we have these rookies who it, you're trying to find defenders who can make this list, right? You're in the second round of the playoffs and you're on the list of guys. I don't have to worry about either getting played off the floor or attacked in a significant enough way that I think, huh, maybe I should start limiting their minutes when, when I see a lineup that has these multiple Guards, these guys. What did you call it earlier? Like the dual heliocentrism It's a dual star system of guys that can attack off the dribble, things like that.
0: And I think this this ties it all together. Kind of going back to what we were saying with the context of stats, starting with Giannis and saying like someone's going to look back at this and see that his his low efficiency and like it's not a statistic. But if it could be a statistic, if someone were to be calculating blow-bys, like the number of time a player was blown by, like Jaron Jackson would easily have more blow-bys than, say, like Joel Embiid. But that leaves out the context of, like is Joel Embiid going against players that are able to blow by as much? Like, as the team he's playing have as many blow-bys per 75 or something like that, or I, I don't even know how you would calculate that or, or contextualize that, but I think this is you all in real time seeing me, like, grapple with that, that, like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, Jaren's been getting blown by pretty badly, and then, like, wait a second, like, it's, it's Jordan Poole and Steph Curry that's blowing by him, so it, it, it takes all of the evidence that you're seeing. You can have as much statistical evidence as you want, as much video data that you want,
1: but you also have to be like I have all of this but I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it just yet. I think we've solved a lot of problems here today. Actually I don't know, I don't know what we talked about uh, <laughs> we, we covered some ground a- anything else before we get out the door um, we've got all these game sixes coming up Any, anything else you want to hit? Oh this is really
0: sad I had something I was going to pitch. I had a nickname idea that I was going to try and unveil right here and it, it completely slipped my mind
1: what, you don't remember the nickname? No, I don't remember the player or the nickname. Oh, wow. Is this, is this because of the Bucks fandom? remember a couple of weeks ago when your Bucks fandom had you, had you tripping up on words. Is this the same kind of thing? I don't even know. No, it's, just, it's one of those things I was like, I should probably
0: write this down in my notes. And I didn't. Now when I remembered, I didn't write it down in my notes. And I remembered I was going to. So that, that's a tease for a future episode. I have a nickname I'm going to try and I'm going to test out with you all.
1: All right. In the future, we will come back. To your um, nickname so now let's bring in Larry Kuhn, who is the I mean the, the godfather of the salary cap in the NBA, among other things um, and importantly here today he's going to talk about something that many of you have asked me about repeatedly and you've heard mentioned on the show, which is summer League in Las Vegas Larry. Basically runs summer league up and down um, and so larry i will I will hand the floor to you to start with and then kind of interject when needed, but kind of what, what do people who are actually interested in taking this leap, this six-day experience, and by the way, um, one of our members who went through it found out I was going to talk to you a few minutes ago, and there was like, tell Larry it changed my life, because he went from a tech job in Silicon Valley to now getting to work in sports. Um, there you go. He's extremely happy about that. Another so one will, of our
2: success stories. How you doing, yeah. Ben?
1: I will, I'm, I'm doing great. I will give the floor to you um, sort of at a high-level what are the big things that people who want to jump into this immersive experience should know?
2: Well, OK, first of all, I, I, I got to reset the stage here because you said I run summer league up and down and I, I do not want to be on uh, Warren Legary's hit list. <laughs> Warren Legary and Albert Hall run summer league and run it extraordinarily well. Um, I run sports business classroom under the umbrella of summer league. And, and yeah, thanks for that intro. So, um, sports business classroom is. A six-day experience, immersive experience for people who are interested in working in sports. And you already cited one success story. We have many others. We have alumni. We have two alumni who are G League general managers now. We have plenty of people working for teams, the league office, media Uh, agencies, uh, uh, all over the league. We just have tons of success. What we do and what we uniquely do, because we are part and parcel of Summer League, which means we are the only ones who can be inside the arena doing this. We are uh, in the arena. We are bringing everybody from Summer League into Sports Business Classroom, because as you know, Ben, Summer League in Las Vegas is the only opportunity Certainly in the NBA, but maybe even in all of sports for some uh the entire league to get together in a relaxed environment for an extended period of time. You know, where else can you do that in any sport? So we're right in the middle of that. We have our own curriculum we deliver, but we put you to work in the arena Doing things, you want to scout games with NBA scouts. You want to do play calls on the sidelines. You want to do networking directly with NBA people. Some of them general managers. This is your opportunity to do all that. Uh, in addition, we bring not only our own instructors, but we bring the best of summer league to you uh, in for uh, speaking or networking or whatever. So we always get you know. We've had Adam Silver. Come in and talk to our students. We've, we have had owners. We've had many general managers, not only, you know, doing speaking, but sometimes even teaching the curriculum directly. Uh, and, but not only just those people, but everything down to kind of the, the, the working, the working stiffs, right? You know, the scouts, the video people, uh, agents, things like that, because Sure, everybody wants to be a GM, but there's not that many GM jobs to go around. Most of them are taken at any given moment. But in addition to that, it takes a long time to get yourself into that position, you know, with, with very few exceptions. And, and usually the exceptions go to people who are players. Um, but the sports business classroom can help you get the job that gets you into the position that gets you on the ladder To success.
1: So so let me jump in there and just, just go back to what you said about Summer League. If you're listening to this and you haven't been to the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas, it is a sort of, it's like almost like a festival. It's a very unique, interesting experience where almost in the offseason, and I say almost because it's kind of right before that big break over the summer. You have a lot of young players there, players trying out for rosters, but also talent that was just drafted. So there's still this boom and excitement from the draft. You've got everybody from, as you said, Larry, um, you'll have video coordinators, coaches, front office, general manager, tons of media, people like myself, who are just mingling around in this experience and the thing i didn't realize before i went to summer league because i've been watching it on tv back when it was in small gyms in orlando and they still have one in utah and they had them all over they even had a boston summer league when i was growing up there um the one in vegas the thomas and mac center where it's set it is an enclosed kind of campus feel there's two gyms inside the same gym basically and you can go back and forth between both games and everyone's kind of mingling, and you'll you'll see people talking, and um, so that's the summer league experience itself. And then the really cool thing about SBC to me, from knowing people that have gone through it, I've mentioned before, um, two of two of our team members at Thinking Basketball have gone through it is you truly get that immersive thing where like, no, you can go downstairs and you're interacting in these media circles. You have the studios downstairs, you have rooms and it's all really tightly wound. You're kind of rubbing elbows. So even if you don't end up becoming a general manager in in the NBA, just the experience itself is this very enhanced immersive summer league experience. So that to me is kind of the coolest thing along with, you know, my own selfish interest is getting people who go there and it's like, oh, you can level up on, your data skills, your visual skills, your scouting skills, your media skills, on and on and on.
2: Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of components to the program. And I, I do kind of treat it like a college. And and first of all, you know, this is not a fantasy camp. You know, if you're just going there to say, oh, you know, I, I talked to Mark Cuban and I talked to, to Adam Silver and stuff like that. You're going to be doing a lot of work for, for just to have that experience. This is for people who are serious about really wanting to, uh, work in the league or at least explore their options. And, you know, we're taking everybody from, uh, you know, people who are undergrads to people who've graduated college, no grad school, some grad school graduated attorneys, people who've been out I- I doing their careers for, In some cases, decades who are looking at career changes because we want to meet people where they are and provide that avenue for them. So we have curriculum that's aimed at all of that. I sort of organized it like a college where everybody gets a lot of everything in the quote unquote GE sections but you're also picking a major where you're gonna dive a little bit deeper. And our majors at SBC are, one is the league salary cap. So you're getting a more in-depth treatment on the CBA and learning that. Uh, the, another is scouting video and analytics, so more of the nuts and bolts of basketball. And then the third is media and broadcast, because if we're looking at at jobs in in and around the NBA, the media is not only where a lot of jobs are, but also are a great stepping stone for for getting work in the league. And part of it is you know we're showing you how to self start this stuff. One of my instructors, Seth Partnow, um, who you know is a pretty well known name around analytics, he got his Start. I mean, this guy's in Alaska for Christ's sakes. You know, uh, who's going to get noticed there? Nobody. But he started his, you know, his his blog. You know, not on calculus, and um, that parlayed into the, a job running analytics for the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, and now he's with he's um, not with the Bucks anymore. He's with the athletic and fully immersed in the media side. So people bounce back and forth all the time. So we treat that as an important uh thing, not only for people who are in the league to have awareness of how to work with the media, but for people who might be bouncing back and forth or even just pursuing the media as an end goal uh, around the NBA. We're there for that. Uh, and other GE curriculum, you know, we we offer curriculum on um on basketball operations, so we show you how front offices work. We show you how trades work in terms of calculating trade equity. We show you how you know the draft works in terms of draft scouting and 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 calculating draft equity, draft value, things like that. Uh, we we have a jobs curriculum. You know how do people do a resume the right way and a cover letter the right way and network the right way and interview the right way because there are tons of wrong ways and I've seen a lot of them. In addition, how do you make that mid-career change? Uh, But in addition to that, you know, we have uh, ongoing throughout the week, my quote unquote term project, which is we're going to break you guys into student teams and assign each one of you an NBA team. Your first job is to analyze that team. What are its assets, liabilities, strengths, weaknesses? What are, what are your goals? What's your strategy for pursuing those goals? And what are your tactics? What do you, what moves do you actually want to make? Uh, we give you some guidance on that. And then we turn you loose into our quote unquote mock trade deadline, which has gotten quite a bit of notoriety. Uh, and uh you are live negotiating with other teams and this as is, is as live fire as we can possibly make it the league office is represented agents are represented the media is even there and there's people you know feeding stuff on your behalf or even sometimes smoke on your behalf mm-hmm. or somebody's behalf and when um uh, we wind that up you then got to have to go put Together, Your presentation here. Here's our team. Here's here's what we analyzed our team to be. Uh, here's what we just wanted to do. Here's what actually happened. Here's our team as a result. And here's our analysis of that. And that gets judged by uh, people who have been working in the league. Uh, last year, it was one GM, one coach who had been an NBA player. And, you know, one analytics person, uh, you know, plus the CBA stuff, uh, and, and they're going to be judging you on how well you did. Uh, and giving you feedback on, you know, here's what you should have have considered, you know, and and you're everything has to make sense from a basketball standpoint, from a financial standpoint and from a CBA standpoint. So we set a really high bar for that. And it's a great not only a great experience, but a great learning experience for people. Then at night, uh what we're doing is, you know, during the the the. Summer league games are going on during the evening. So you uh, can scout games with NBA scouts. You're you're going to be doing that to start with, and then you're going to be getting a scouting assignment and doing your own scouting report of an NBA player. Or sorry, a summer league player that you're going to get feedback on. Um, you're going to get broadcast opportunities. So you want to do game calls. You want to be in the SBC studio doing our podcast or you know running our podcast all those opportunities are there. So this all goes on for, for one solid week. It's July 10th through 15th at, you know, inside and at the NBA Summer League in in Las Vegas, as you said. Um, and then I should give the website because I would be remiss if I don't at sportsbusinessclassroom.com where you can find more information and find registration information.
1: Um, let me also just add on that mock trade Deadline exercise, having done similar stuff myself in in grad school in a different industry where experts come in and then judge sort of these week long in this case of you know kind of like a week long exercise is really an invaluable experience that 's actually sometimes hard to get once you go back out in the world and, and look for real world placement and things like that. So that's super cool. Of course, if you've listened to any of the the dunked on mock trade drafts or deadlines, I, I just always imagine it's like that, except on steroids in a war room. It really um, is.
2: And, and Nate's been one of my team and, and has helped me run those. And it, exactly. I mean, that's, that's kind of like where the Genesis of a lot of this, uh, his stuff and our stuff, we kind of co-develop this, uh, but uh and, as we do this, you know, like I said, we try to keep it as real as possible. And literally, we have some of the, the trades that went down during the mock trade deadline later actually happened in the NBA. And in, in, in fact, one of our advisors was like, um, was, after it, you know, one of the guys from one of the teams was, was in there. Uh, you know, it's one of our guests and we were like talking and this is what happened with your team in in this thing. And he's like, "Mm hmm. And then later on that deal gets pulled off.
1: Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, So it's sportsbusinessclassroom.com. And you've hooked up our listeners with $300 off if they use the sign up code, thinking basketball, and it is an immersive experience. So you I believe you have different packages, right? That kind of cater to i don't know if you want to get into that at all sure. but yeah, yeah sort of yeah, different. We, we
2: basically have four different tiers the immersive tier which is what we have always done um you know that that's what sports business classroom has been since i started it in 2016 uh the all-star tier is is that plus we're adding on um you know people want to experience summer league and and be a part of that so we're adding on opening weekend at summer league so Accommodations and access, and you know everything else we can offer during that uh, that first um, opening weekend of summer league. So come enjoy a couple of days of of summer league, and then get to work with us at SBC. The VIP tour adds on a, a couple of our ancillary offerings. Um, so it adds on CBA mastery, which is my on-demand video course, which is also available at sportsbusinessclassroom.com. Um, so it, you, you get that plus you get an access to one of our upcoming virtual events. And then we're going to throw in a few more perks, uh, you know, executive dining and, um, uh, you know, a, a special dinner with summer league leadership that no one else has access to. And, um, Uh, uh, access to other Summer League events that people don't have access to. And then the highest tier, the Hall of Fame tier, we're adding on additional networking opportunities after Summer League. So we will hook you up with, you know, direct, directly with like GMs and people of that irk, um, after Summer League for, for, for networking things. So yeah, if you're, if you're really looking at, uh, getting access to, to people at the highest level, that's the hall of fame tier. If you are, you know, want, want the best access, plus all the, you know, the additional offerings of a virtual event and CBA mastery, that's the VIP tier tour tier. Um, if you want to enjoy summer league before getting to work with SBC, that is the all-star tier and just SBC is the immersive tier.
1: Awesome. Larry, uh, anything else that people should know before, um, we let you get out of here?
2: I think we covered pretty much. Oh. And then also the other thing that we, we do give you access to is, you know, we, we take care of our students after, after, um, summer league is over, you know, obviously we were there as your advocates, we're there to hook you up with people. Uh, you know, we're, we're there as sounding boards for you. Uh, we do plenty of follow-up, but one of those follow-up things we do is we have our our own network called VSL Talent, uh, VSL for Vegas Summer League. And VSL Talent is, uh, we have a portal and think of it like LinkedIn, but for basketball. Uh, and, you know, people who come to us and there are plenty of people who come to us or go to VSL Talent directly, when they're looking for people, you know, we, we put them in VSL Talent and they're Collecting contact information and resumes there in order to look for people. So, uh, you know, where it, it's, it's a 360. Let's get you working in basketball type of, of situation. So if you're, if your dream is, you know, insert name of your favorite team here, you know, to, to be in there doing stuff, we're going to. Uh, give you, we're going to immerse you. We're going to give you education. We're going to give you experience. We're going to get you starting to build your network. You know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you and people. Oh, by the way, uh, you know, when, when sports business, and I've been told this many, many, many times, I'm not just blowing smoke here. When, <laughs> when people see sports business classroom on, on their resume, they, they know who we are. They know the quality of people we admit. They know what kind of work and experience we give them. They, in many cases, have been a part of this program and have experienced it directly. They put those resumes at the top of the pile. And like I said, I've been told that multiple times.
1: Yeah, I've I've been guilty of that um, once or twice myself. So <laughs> Larry, th- thanks thanks for um, thanks for setting this up. It's it's a super cool program and something that I think has been beneficial to a lot of people for oh, years i
2: appreciate that yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great passion of mine i'm an educator at heart uh you know i i did the cba faq kind of as a service to the basketball community and was always you know looking at the way to combine the basketball stuff i do with the teaching stuff that that like i said is it, at my heart and this is the perfect outlet for that
1: sportsbusinessclassroom.com. Remember, if you sign up, you'll get $300 off with that code thinkingbasketball. If you want to support this show directly, head on over to patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball where we have video extras, more content. We have, a, I think, our live Q&A. We have one every month. I think the next one is coming up this Saturday. patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. That is it. Hope you enjoyed this one. Thanks for listening all the way to the end, as always. And wherever you are, I hope you are having a great day.